Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. On today's show, Carrie Newhoff. No, and I think a lot of us, we, we spend our day reacting. If, if you think about, you know, the last time you had a free day on your calendar, you looked at it, it's like no meetings. I can't believe it. I feel like I won the lottery. And what a lot of people experience when they have nothing on their calendar is they get into work early. It's like, I'm going to crush it. And four o'clock rolls around and you had you had nothing done off your to-do list. That to-do list that you meticulously put together, you had nothing done. And when you really analyze, like, what happened? How did my to-do list grow when I had a whole day without any meetings? It's like you probably spent the whole day reacting. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life, as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, and helping make this place better than we found it. What a thrill to have Kerry Newhoff on the show. I'm a huge fan of him. He's a best-selling leadership author, speaker, podcaster, former attorney, and a church planner. He writes one of today's most influential leadership blogs, and his online content is accessed by leaders over 1.5 million times a month. Kerry's mission is to help people thrive in life and leadership. He has extensive experience helping organizations lead through change, develop high-capacity teams, deepen their personal growth along with their health, and he speaks to leaders all around the world about leadership change and personal growth. He came on today's show to talk about his most recent book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. It's designed to help you live a life you no longer want to escape from. Instead, you might actually start loving it because it's getting out of that stress spiral, getting into a thrive cycle, getting focused time, leveraging your energy, realizing your priorities, and then thriving. It's not about managing time. It's about managing energy and priorities. It's all about how we look at time, and that's what we deep dive in this conversation. Fascinating conversation. You're really going to enjoy it. I love Kerry. Go check him out at his website, kerrynewhoff.com, or at yourbesttoday.com, which supports his brand new book. Let's get on with it with the one and only Kerry Newhoff here on The Dose. One of my early lessons in the corporate world is I was a big kind of fan of the to-do list, right? I was very Mm -hmm. anal retentive. I had like nice little square boxes. And not only would I like fill in the box, I would take a ruler and line, you know, the to-do list. And my boss came to me one day, a good friend, still a good mentor. And he said, hey, did you get this thing done for me? And I said, no, I've been so busy. Look at all the stuff I've been doing. He goes, I don't care about any of that. All I cared about was... (laughs) was that <laughs> this one thing right and I wasn't yeah. I wasn't doing the big painful thing you know and that was a big lesson in priorities to me so what do you think about when you hear me tell that story oh I I think about the problem with to-do lists and if that was 20 years ago 
My guess is that most people's to-do list is uh, 10 times longer than it was 20 years ago. I agree. And one of the things that that does that is, first of all, access to information. We know a lot more. Um, this doesn't sound like it's related, but maybe it is. You talk to anybody in their late teens or 20s. We had a 17-year-old who looked after our house while we were away, and we were chatting with her when we got back. We were away for a month, and she was in every day. And I was asking her about next steps. And she goes, you know, I don't know about college, university, and I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to pick from all the options? Well, when I was a kid, I was, you know, grew up in the 70s and 80s. It's like, you didn't have a lot of options. It was like, there were, yeah. there, you know, I do a lawyer and I thought, well, maybe I want to be a lawyer one day. And I went on to do that. But, you know, you, di- you didn't have this infinite information. So there's all this self-generated stuff. Well, now I'm going to, I watched HGTV, so I'm going to redo my basement or I'm going to redo, you know, the backyard. And then, and then you have the constant inbound. Uh, when I was writing at your best, I counted up my inboxes because I thought this would be good to know. And it shocked me. I have 11. Oh, wow. So every time I look at my phone and I, I would encourage your, your uh, listeners to do the same thing. Like how many inboxes do you have? And that's not like 11 separate email addresses. I have a few email addresses, but it is, um, Instagram has three inboxes, primary general message requests, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, but I bet you it adds up to close to a dozen. And that means that everywhere you are, that includes text messages. Everywhere you are, people are like, hey, Carrie, hey, Richard, hey, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? So your to-do list just grows. And you're right. What happens is the really important thing gets sacrificed and your boss comes in and goes, I don't care about the rest of this stuff. Where's the report? <laughs> right. And so that's start, what I think when I hear you say It that. starts the stress spiral like you talk about in your book, right? I mean, all our priorities are hijacked, feeds into the stress spiral. Everybody always says, when you, I mean, how many times do you come up to somebody and you say, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm just busy. I'm so busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of a given. But you're right. I think I didn't even look at it in that perspective, but 20 years has passed. 20 years ago, you know, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have kind of the instantaneous news right at your hip. You kind of had to still had to search for it a little bit on the web. And we really weren't texting all that much 20 years ago, if you think about it. No. Text message plans at that time, first of all, 20 years ago, I don't think there was a lot of it. Secondly, when they first came out, there were limits. You're allowed yeah. 100 text messages a month or 500. I remember when it went to 1,000, I'm like, who sends 1,000 text messages in a month? <laughs> and now it's like, oh, everybody. Okay, everybody. Yeah. Right? And so it's it's like a crazy world we live in. And for your younger leaders listening, yeah, they're going to be like, well, that's been since I was a kid. Yeah. But if you're a little bit older like I am in my 50s, you're like, no, I remember the pre-digital world and it had its problems, but it was simpler. I worked for an entrepreneur here. He's just passed away back this last year and he's kind of well-known here. He started the the Residence Inn brand, actually. He sold... Oh, wow. He, he kind of came up with the extended stay hotel concept and the continental breakfast and he sold it to Marriott and that's where he kind of made his millions. But we were talking about that. I said, how did you get things done? You know, he was real big apartment developer in the early late 60s, early 70s. I said, how did you get everything done without email? And he says, you know, literally on a handshake and just a lot of trust. And and I thought, God, wouldn't it have been so great? I mean, again, I guess they didn't know any better, but sometimes you just hearken how, how much more you could get done if we didn't have so many of these conveniences that are supposed to help us. And they've actually just kind of increased our, or the demand, or at least the, the perception of, of, 
of that we have to get things done, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like it's kind of like this induced stress. We just feel like because we're getting all this data from multiple angles that it just feels like we got to get more done. But in reality, I think that's what we kind of get at with your Thrive Cycle, that we don't have to listen to all that stuff, right? I mean, a lot of it is just kind of static. Am I right? Or what do you think? No, you're right. I mean, I think it gets so overwhelming and so confusing that a lot of people just don't really understand um, what they even need to be doing and what they don't need to be doing. So, you know, when I thought about a state that I got into when I burned out about 15 years ago, and then I look at a lot of friends who are in a very similar place, it's three things. People feel overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted. So overwhelmed, I don't even know what day it is. I'm like, Mm -hmm. are you kidding me? Like, I worked 18 hours yesterday and I didn't get anything done. And so they're overwhelmed, they're overworked. Uh, Work doesn't have any boundaries anymore. So it used to be, like if you worked in manufacturing, again, even in the 70s, or if you work in manufacturing today, it's very hard for me to go and operate a machine when I'm at home in my backyard. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to be able to run the, the uh, you know, whatever you're running, the CNC machine. My dad was in Tula Mole. I can't right. run that in my backyard because the machine is in the factory. So I have to be there. On the assembly line, I can't put Hondas together in my backyard. I just can't do it. The problem with a lot of knowledge workers is actually you can work in your backyard. Mm -hmm. You can work off your phone. You can work off your laptop. You can work off your tablet, your iPad. And so work, we used to go to the office, but now the office goes to us. So there's overworking and we don't have boundaries for that. And then, and then third challenge is we're overcommitted because we have so much inbound because there are so many, you know, think about how many people have your cell number and the answer is too many. Mm Mm-hmm too many. So these people you barely know are texting you going, hey, can I pick your brain on X? Hey, do you want to get together for Y? And there's a British psychologist, Robin Dunbar, and he makes the argument that people have a relational capacity of 150 people. Mm. That's it. That's that's what you're wired to. And he traces this back to like Roman civilization, the Middle Ages. If you look at most villages, frankly, if you look at most churches, if you look at the way the military divides like you know I'm I'm not a military guy you are but if you think about it you can have thousands of troops but then you have a platoon and you have a division and you have your squad and it breaks it down because you're not capable like the way we are wired the way I believe we were created we're not capable of knowing a thousand people but we can know 10 and I can have your back and you can have my back that's right and so he looks at it that way and he says 150 people is your max He says, uh, and inside that larger circle is a smaller circle of 10 to 15 that you can truly call friends. Mm -hmm. These are people that you're connecting with probably once a month. You go for lunch or you play squash with them or you you hang out or you go to a barbecue or you're at least talking to them once a month. And then on the inner circle, you have three to five. And these three to five are your close friends. These are people you know everything in their life. They know everything in your life. And he said, that's it. Well, look look at your devices. All of us are past 150. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got that high school friend you sort of talk to on Facebook, but not really. <laughs> you have all those people you used to work with on LinkedIn or who connected with you. And you have everyone on Instagram who follows you, you follow them. And you're overwhelmed relationally. And the digital world doesn't discriminate. Uh, I got a text this afternoon from a guy I haven't talked to in two years. I forgot he had my cell number. 
And, you know, I knew who he was. I knew his story, but he's like, hey, I've got a big change in my life. I'd love to let you know. I'm like, I haven't talked to you for two years. <laughs> like, the, the, you know, why, why are we connecting? And I said, hey, can you send me the update by text? Because I had a day of interviews set up. I haven't heard from him. But like, you know, digital communication doesn't discriminate. And I'm a fan of technology. I just got the new, the M1 Pro or M1 oh, Max, nice. whatever is the upper level. Yeah, yeah, the 14 inch. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a Luddite. I've, I've got all the latest devices. I have an iPhone 13. I, I mean, I got it. But I have to, you know, technology makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Mm -hmm. And it's mastered most of us. So we have to have limits. Yeah, it speaks to it speaks to the, what I think makes leadership so hard. It's always been hard, I think, for this reason is that there is a it, it's the concepts of leadership. And what I'm talking about, I'm just talking about life in general are easy to understand. Right. I mean, the concepts are, are the concepts are easy to understand. They just exist or therefore are taking right. No one just invented them. They're just kind of there mm. in the ether. And for us to kind of we know, but it takes a tremendous amount of intentionality. Right, as you know, of, of discipline, of intentionally, because I think because of how we're wired or however you want to look at life or what God put into us, whatever, it our intention, our, our default state is reactive. It's not mm. creation. Cre you know, we, we have the creator in us, but we have to intentionally create, I guess, right? Because my, I think I'm wired to react as opposed to create. And so to be intentional about it is, is what I'm going with. And I think now with the technology and everything we've been talking about makes it that much more harder because it takes that right. much more harder to kind of disseminate and prioritize between, okay, what's really important here? What am I trying to accomplish? And to me, that's how you get to that creator state is taking the time to pause and go, okay, what am I really trying to accomplish here? And, and how do I react to this? I mean, that happened. It has to happen almost, you got to be maniacal about it, right? I think that's why it mm. makes it harder. And all this technology that's where I'm going with this. It just makes it that much more difficult, in my opinion. No, and I think a lot of us, we, we spend our day reacting. Mm -hmm. if, if you think about, you know, the last time you had a free day on your calendar, you looked at it, it's like no meetings. I can't believe it. I feel like I won the lottery. Right. And what a lot of people experience when they have nothing on their calendar is they get into work early. It's like, I'm going to crush it. And four o'clock rolls around and you had... You had nothing done off your to-do list. That to-do list that you meticulously put together, you had nothing done. And when you really analyze like what happened, how did my to-do list grow when I had a whole day without any meetings? It's like you probably spent the whole day reacting. You mm -hmm. started with your inbox. You're like, and if you send email, you get email. And then you answered all those text messages. And then someone pulled you into a meeting. And then someone said, hey, do you want to go for lunch? And you're like, sure, I've got the time. And then it's like, can I pick your brain? And a whole bunch of that. And then you look at your devices again. You got 72 unread messages. It's like, okay, 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 okay. It's five o'clock. You haven't got anything off your to-do list. Mm -hmm. You spent that whole day responding, responding. And actually... That happens in the traditional office too, right? You don't yeah, even need sure. technology. Like people pull people you into come meetings, by, people go. Your, yeah, come by your office, they come in, this little fire pops up, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And, and so, you know, what I want to encourage leaders to do is to take back their time, mm -hmm. is to, to say, you probably got three to five peak hours in a day. That's all you got. And what, what I mean by that is, if you think about your day in terms of zones, you have what I call a green zone, a red zone, and a yellow zone. Green zone is I'm a morning person. So first thing in the morning, I'm usually pretty bright. 
7 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's when, if I'm going to write a book, that's when the chapters are coming freely. That's when my project mind is really sharp, where I can cast a better vision, work on the future. Then I have a red zone, which is usually um, four to six in the afternoon where I'm kind of dragging, I'm tired, I need caffeine or I need a nap or I need something. And most people, a lot of people get that right after lunch. You come back and even if you didn't eat all carbs, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I can't even keep my eyes open while I'm in this meeting. So we get about an hour or two of that a day. And then everything else, that's your red zone. Everything else is yellow. You're not at your best. You're not at your worst. And what I encourage leaders to do is to protect that green zone, your best hours, whether you're a night owl, an afternoon person, or like me, a morning person, and get your most important work done then. Do what you're best at when you're at your best. Because, you know, for me, I'm a writer, I'm a communicator, I run a communications company, I produce online courses. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to write a course, I better do that when I'm sharp. And nobody's asking me, to write a course. They're saying, hey, will you do this interview? Hey, will you uh, come speak at this event? Hey, can you join me for this meeting? Hey, can you consult with me? Um, so I've got to set that time aside and say, actually, I'm not available Wednesday morning. Secret, I'm working on my course. Um, however, I might be able to meet you in the afternoon. I might be able to meet you, you know, Thursday at lunch or something like that so that I protect that time. Yeah. That's what I love. That's what I mean about the intentionality, right? It's like it's going mm -hmm. from that unfocused time to the focused time. So you have to be completely honest and authentic about, number one, you got to have that self-awareness of who you are, right? And mm -hmm. what you're good at. So you got to get to that point is what I'm hearing. And then you got to, I like how breaking it into the, the green, yellow, red zones, and then use that green zone for the, the top priority events. I guess kind of what I'm hearing you say too, and this is this has been kind of eye-opening to me, and, and frankly, it's from doing the show and talking and you know having over 500 conversations with people like yourself. I kind of shifted, and I, I'm 53, so I'm in my late 40s. I had a pretty good Marine Corps career, pretty good corporate career, but I didn't really get it until I started podcasting and talking to other people that it wasn't about getting things done. It was managing your energy. It was like taking care of yourself. That's the biggest takeaway I've done from having these conversations, Carrie, is, is if you look at all the high performers, that's what they do. They take care of themselves so that they're, they're, they're maximum energy. And what you just laid out for me in that kind of that, that priority in the, the green, red, yellow zone, that's, that's doing things that are, or at least capitalizing on when you're at your best or at your peak energy level, right? And I know we haven't talked about how do you sustain energy and increase energy, but to me, what you just said was all about energy. Am I right on that or, or, or right? Completely right. Um, it's about energy management even more than it's about time management. Right. The problem with time management, and I've, I've read a lot of great time management books, and I got a section in At Your Best on Time Management. But here's my challenge, my bone to pick with time management. You're managing a fixed resource. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I give you $100 and I said, you have to go save money on groceries, you can do that to a certain extent. You can say, okay, I'll buy the no-name stuff rather than the good stuff, or I'll look for the sales, or I'll go to different stores. and also, But eventually, you only have 100 bucks. If I'm like, okay, but here's mm -hmm. your challenge, Richard. You have to feed 1,000 people on $100. You're like, do they get a grain of rice each? Like, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how to feed 
a thousand people on a hundred dollars. So time management brings you diminishing returns because you only get 24 hours in a day. But I think what we all know is that those 24 equal hours don't feel equal and they don't produce equally. So you are in a different state of mind at 11 a.m. versus 11 p.m., at 7 a.m. versus 7 p.m., you know, 9 a.m. versus 4.30 in the afternoon. And a lot of people really struggle with their energy later in the day. And that includes doctors. Like, you know, there are surgical studies that say the best time to get your colonoscopy or that surgery is 8 o'clock in the morning, not 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm, Right. Because even your your surgeon gets tired. It's like, ooh, I don't want to hear that, okay? Please please tell me they're flawless and they never make mistakes. (laughs) But they have the same thing. So when you start managing your energy, the problem that I had and that a lot of people have is my green zone is in the morning. You only get three to five hours. Again, science is showing that. Cal Newport has argued you get about four. In my experience, it's three to five. And five is a good day, a great day. Three is a typical day of peak energy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you spend that indiscriminately, then you never get your best work done. Mm you know, like what what's important? That quarterly report that's due. Uh, you got to rethink the strategy for your company for a new year. Is that what you have to do? Like, what do you have to do? If you do that in your green zone, you're going to produce much better results. It's going to be awesome. If you live the way most people live, your green zone got squandered with breakfast meetings and you got pulled into this and you were in your inbox. Seven o'clock rolls around. You're still not home. Your family's mad at you. And when you get home, you scarf down some dinner and then you sit there while they're watching Netflix and you open up your laptop trying to not let anyone see that you're working. And now you're like, now I'm getting to my quarterly report. It's like, "Eh." first of all, you're dead. You're tired. You're exhausted. Like, why not just protect that peak energy zone whenever it happens? and say, I'm not available. Like I'm not available for breakfast, not available for you to pick my brain, not available for phone calls, not looking at my email. I mean, nobody ever, have have you ever interviewed? (laughs) I've never asked this question. 500 interviews, I'm at a similar Mm -hmm. level. Have you ever met a leader who said, you know, the way I got to the top? was I always answered my emails. when I know, right. (laughs) Never (laughs) never heard anybody say that. Yet we behave like that that is the way that, we achieve success. Now, I'm a big inbox zero guy. I'm a huge believer in it, but I know that's not going to grow my company. That's not going to that's not going to move the needle, right? And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, you're like me, you're wanting to improve your health but never sure where to start with thousands of health strategies available. Identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery. It's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimes. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide business professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The intuitive app, I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals, gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy, and most importantly, I got increased energy, and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. 
The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze, and learn what your metabolism responds to best. And that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash dose. That's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And now back to the show. Yeah, again, it goes back to those priorities. I, for me, it was I learned this in the Marine Corps, and I can't I heard it started hearing it from drill instructors when you're going to officer candidate school, but it, it came up in in the real application where there was this kind of this mindset is like, look, we all have a bag with a hundred pound of rocks in it. And the point is, amateurs try to get the bag empty. A professional understands he's always going to have a bag full of 100 pounds of rocks, and there's going to be a bunch of rocks around there feeling like they need to get in that same bag. <laughs> your job as a leader is to find out, make sure you have the right 100 pounds in your bag at the, at the moment. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's kind of like the goal isn't necessarily – it'd be nice, and every now and then you can get a little – when you're really – clicking and firing all cylinders and the universe is aligned and everything, you can maybe get some of that 100 pounds down to 80, but it doesn't last very long. Um, the fear and uncertainty never goes away. There's always too much to do. It isn't about the to-do list. It's about making sure your priorities are right. And that's kind of what mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say about when you get the focus time, you start looking at time differently. You start thinking about energy and leverage that energy now you're starting to go down the, a whole different path. That's kind of the contrarian path that no one seems to talk about, right? I mean, leveraging well, that energy. And we've run thousands, tens of thousands of leaders actually through what I'm talking about today. And the light bulb, bulb goes on for everyone when we start talking about energy management, not mm -hmm. time management. That that is, and you know, I wanted to call, we called the book At Your Best. I wanted to jokingly call it the three-hour workday. Sorry, Tim Ferriss. <laughs> right. But the, the reality is most of us, we have eight, 10 hours that we have to put in, um, but really only three of those are peak. And when we squander them, when we, un when we don't focus them, when we spend them unintentionally, what happens is you, you know, it's like, okay, go back 25 years. You got five stocks in your portfolio. So you have Kodak, Blockbuster, <laughs> Apple, and uh, pick a couple of others, okay? If you're treating them all the same, well, we know they're not the same. Like Kodak went under, Blockbuster went under, Apple should have bought a lot more of those, right? Because yeah, right, right. they're now valuing close to $3 trillion. They're going to break through that ceiling, which is incredible. Yeah. Like if you knew you, if you knew what would, how Apple stocks would perform 20 years ago, you would have potentially mortgaged your house yeah. to go buy some more. Of course, nobody has that crystal ball. Um, your, your green zone, those three or four hours a day are like, Tesla in the early days, like Apple, yeah. like like those kinds of stocks. They are just going to outperform and outproduce everything else. So that's why in your green zone, you should not only be doing your most important work, and I can give uh, you a filter for how you determine your most important work, but you should be working on your gift, on your skill set, not just doing the work. So I'm a communicator. So if I've got like a course, I'm working on an online course right now, I need to be writing that, but I should also be studying online courses. 
And maybe I should watch a tech TED talk on more effective communication. Because then what I'm doing is, in Stephen Covey's words, I'm sharpening the saw. Mm-hmm. I'm not just, you know, I'm getting better at it. And the way, as we know, thank you, Malcolm Gladwell, um, when you spend 10,000 hours developing your talent, that's when you become world-class or thereabouts. So, you know, you could you could use those three to five hours a day to develop your gift, to hone it, to get better and better. And you won't see results overnight, but you will. You do that every day for three or four years. And my goodness, somebody who hadn't seen you in a few years will say, what happened to you? Yeah, the You com- are so much clearer. You are so much better. The compounding. And so how do, how do you that, know yeah. what goes into that, that green yeah, zone? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask yeah. is like, because even there as you're laying out, okay, I only got, that's what even kind of stresses me out thinking I only got three to five hours, three in a norm, on an average day. How do I best utilize that? Because now I need to work on my course. Like you said, but man, I really need to sharpen my sword and learn more about this. How do you divvy up those three hours? How do you make sure that you're working or you're being as most effective in, in your green zone? How do you know what to prioritize? So if you imagine a Venn diagram, think about three circles that eventually converge in the middle. So one is gifting, the second is passion, and the third is impact. Gifting is what seems natural and effortless to you that seems difficult for others. So I'll give you two examples. I'm not a musician. I got a son who's a musician. I've, I've had lots of musicians in my life over the years. I am blown away by how they can memorize the lyrics, play an instrument, and sing at the same time. How they can even keep time. I don't know. I've tried. I'm a disaster at it. They are. It looks so easy. They're just up there and they're just doing it. And it looks like second nature. So that's a gifting. For me, it wouldn't be music. It would be communication. I'm not saying I'm a great communicator. I am saying it comes easy to me. And a lot of people, if you believe the studies, would say number one fear is the fear of public speaking. I get a tiny bit nervous, but not really. Like it just it. doesn't bother me. I enjoy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a thrill to it. And they're like, how do you talk for 45 minutes without notes? I'm like, it's just not that hard. And so that's gifting. You know, some of you are gifted at spreadsheets. Some of you are gifted at um, project management or organizing events. So that's your gifting. Passion is you really enjoy doing it. So that's what you said. I love it. I do love it. Some of you really do love getting a great PNL together, so it's flawless. Some of you enjoy strategy and planning offsites or whatever you're doing. So there's gifting, passion, and that's good, but the real, uh, it really comes together when you get impact. So impact is what is moving the needle in your work. So I knew, for example, well, with my company now, it's a content company. So I podcast like you do. We produce online courses. I write books. I speak. So I know I have to produce great content. That's an excellent use of my green zone. However, for our company to be successful and profitable, there's a few other factors. Number one, the vision needs to be crystal clear. So when the vision is clear, the company does better. When it's fuzzy, it does worse. So there's communication, great content, vision. Third is my team has to be aligned. You know, people are always going out of alignment. They're running different missions, so I got to keep them aligned. Fourth is I got to make sure our culture is healthy. So if there's any toxicity, if there's politics, backstabbing, it's got to go because that eventually infects everything. And then finally, money. We just need money to keep going. If I take my eye off the financial dial, um, you can be in trouble quick. So we got to have money. Got to have a positive culture, great culture, healthy culture, uh, team aligned, vision, and then also uh, content. So I'm 
actually decent at all five. So what I do as a CEO, as the founder, is I spend my green zone predominantly in one of those five areas and mix it up over the course of a week. Yeah, so it's, again, being intentional about, again, it goes back to the awareness, right? And as you Mm -hmm. listed those five, you got to do the work to make sure and be authentic and honest about who you really are and what you're good at. But it's still work, right? You still have to go, okay, at least you're being intentional. If you have those five, you can at least at the end of the day go, how did I do today? You know what I mean? Right. And if you're in that green zone, you're like, oh, you know what? I didn't even work on any of these five things. I was talking to, to you know, somebody else about something that isn't, you know, and at least you can at least audit yourself on a daily. At least it's intentional, right? At least you've got a strategy and you've got a plan. Another way to think about it too, Richard, is to think about what will have the longest value. So for example, I am working on a three to five year plan for our company. If we get that right, that is going to last for a long time. A book, you know, like this book, a book's one of the few things I do that has the potential to live me. So right. I know people, people, I write blog posts. Sometimes, yeah, I get a few posts that get access tens of thousands of times a year thanks to the algorithm and Google and all that stuff. But for the most part, you know, blogs are kind of temporary. Uh, podcasts, there are some episodes that keep producing, but you know, eventually it sort of declines. So what will have the greatest value? Um, John Maxwell talks about the four levels of leadership and level four is my favorite. He talks about people development. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you can do is just develop people. So whether they're with your team forever or for a season, most are with you for a season, they leave better um, as better humans and better leaders because they worked with you. So those are things. And when I have a long to-do list, like clearly that email I'm responding to can wait till three o'clock. Right. It's fine. It doesn't need a reply because I got to use my best energy to come up with a five-year plan for the company. I got to use my best energy to write a book that has the potential to be selling copies two decades from now. Um, to, if it's a, you know, a pivotal message for your company, Yeah, spend days on it. And so you can also think in terms of timeline. And that makes it very clarifying because sometimes, you know, it's that whole Stephen Covey matrix of urgent versus important. The important is rarely urgent and the urgent is rarely important. Occasionally they will line up. But those those really important things, that's what you want to be using your green zone for. Yeah, it's still I, I, everything you're saying just resonates. I love what everything you're saying. And it goes back to, again, having that kind of outcome-based or being explicit, having clarity and alignment about the outcome base that you want. What am I trying to accomplish? What is it that I'm trying to do? Both for your organization, both you individually, right? Hmm. That's how I, that's how personally I calm everything down, how I get recentered on a daily basis, hourly basis, when it's like, God, there's too much to do. I'm like, okay, taking that pause. And I got this from aviation, to be quite honest, from being a professional aviator. That's what we do when we're all the time. When we're faced with a, a, an abnormal situation, the the first thing to do isn't the first step in the emergency procedure. The first step is to take a pause. You know, hit the hit mm-hmm. the stopwatch on the clock, which does nothing to solve the abnormal situation, but it gives you that time to pause and think what is what's the bigger picture here? What are we trying to do? And everything you're saying is like, to me, it's like you're always fighting for the bigger picture. And everything that we've been talking about here, that's what you're doing. You're pulling yourself back. You're getting yourself on the balcony. You're looking at it instead of 4,000 feet. You're looking at it at 40,000 feet. That's always the fight, right? And 
And I think that's a job of senior leadership. Absolutely. Like if, if, if you're not going to look at the 40,000 foot view for your company or your department or your division, nobody else is going to do that. Nobody else is. And all the inbound that we have, as we talked about already, none of that is about the important. It's mm-hmm. all about can you, and most of it is trivial. In fact, you know, I took, okay, here's a, here's a fun little experiment. I took the month of July, 2021 off and truly like unplugged, got my company ready for it and everything. And I created this autoresponder because I'll get, you know, dozens of emails a day in my private inbox, hundreds in the public inbox. And I just set an autoresponder that said something like, hey, I got a book launch coming up. I'm trying to practice what I preach. I'm taking an entire month off. I'll be back in August. I will not be reading any emails that were sent in July. If it's really important, please just email me again in August. So, you know, leaders access our content one and a half million times a month. So we have a lot of inbound. Do you know how many people, after I deleted all those emails, emailed me back in August to follow up on what they thought was important in July? I'm going to be surprised at the number. It has to be pretty small. One. One? One. It's not that important. It's not. I'm not that important. It's not that important. <laughs> Everybody forgot. Yeah. Everybody forgot. And it's like, are you kidding? And I know what July would have been like had I been working. I would have had dozens of emails a day, lots of texts, lots of this, lots of that. I'm just like, I'm off the grid. Sorry, guys. And life goes on. And if you could live a little more like that every day, you would get so much more accomplished because it's not what you react to. I mean, you have to, right? COVID hits. Everybody had to react. Yep. Somebody quits, somebody dies. Yes, you got to react. But mostly it's that creator thing in Mm -hmm. you that is going to move the needle. It's the ability to breathe, to see things differently, to reflect, to contemplate, to mull over, to go through not one draft, but eight drafts, to get input, to collaborate, and then say, okay, this is where we're going. That does not happen in the cracks. It doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in the five minutes between meetings. It doesn't happen... When you're running around with your hair on fire, it just doesn't happen. So you've got to create that space because nobody's going to create it for you. I love that story. That reminds me when I was in corporate America, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years ago, I did that same thing. I, I don't know, I had a team of maybe 30 people and, you know, and even just that kind of small of a team in corporate America. That's, I mean, and we had Blackberries at the time. It was just constant, right? Mm. And constant, yeah. everybody wanted my attention. And I made a similar announcement. I didn't take a month off because I couldn't. But I mean, I did say, I'm only going to be in. I, I put on my calendar, I checked my email twice a day, only for 15 minutes each. I put it on my calendar. I did it first thing in the morning and then I did it at two o'clock in the afternoon. And that was the only time I looked and answered emails. And I just did an experiment. I did the same thing. And there were some things where people says urgent, this or that. And I just kind of would look at it when I read it. And I wouldn't, and I said, you know, I'm not even going to respond to this. I did that intentionally. Like I didn't respond I would eat, so I would talk to people face to face, like I would go to office, you know, and I would see people and I would just kind of manage leading by walking around, getting to know everybody, spent less time at my desk. And I can't tell you how many times where there were urgent emails that I got that I never responded to. They just kind of disappeared in the ether. You know what I mean? And nobody, <laughs> it just, it wasn't that important. You had to, you got to be careful because some things, you know, some things were yeah, important. Yeah, no, like, I hear you, you know, and at some point I'm going to die. And guess what? The world will be just fine and people will get along and it will move forward. 
And we forget that. We overvalue our importance. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go sit on a hammock in your backyard and never come out. I'm not saying that. I love work. But we're in this state of overwhelm, overcommitment, overwork that seems like it has no escape. It does have an escape. Yeah. And you can live very differently. So I, I hear you. You know, the other thing you can do is impose constraints. So my kids are in their 20s now, but when they were younger, um, I remember it was really hard because my wife was working as well. She's also a lawyer by training and um, she couldn't get home by four o'clock. I could. And <clears throat> I just said to my staff, and it was a small staff, but we were growing. I said, um, I'm going to only have meetings two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday because I need a full couple days to write and work on the big stuff. And the meetings have to happen between nine and three 30. And they were like, Oh, we can't, we're too important. We got, and I'm like, no, 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 that's just the way it's going to be. And you know what? The meetings fit between nine and three 30. And there were times where, you know, I, I would walk out of a meeting at three 30 and they would be, you can't leave. I'm like, listen, my kids are coming home. If I don't get home, they're going to call child services. All right. So I'm going home. See ya. If there's anything really important, let me know. And I got two days a week to write and I got a lot done and it was wonderful. But had I allowed meeting creep to infect the rest of my week, I would have had meetings eight or nine hours a day, five days a week. So sometimes you just put constraints and it's shown that create uh, constraints lead to creativity. They often lead to growth. And um, when you when you think of yourself as having infinite time, that's a trap. Time yeah. is a limited commodity, and you got to treat it like it's fixed. Because who is who's going to pay the price for your mismanagement of time at work? It's never the people at work. It's nope. always the people at home. That's right. If you're married, it's your spouse. If you're a parent like me, it's your kids. It's you. You know the body keeps the score, and you're going to carry stress with you and medical problems with you. If you're not sleeping and you're working 70 hours a week, like that's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. You're speak, pre preaching to the choir here. We've all got <laughs> yeah. those bloody scars from, from not getting that when we should have. Right. And I know, mm -hmm. gosh, my, you know, I've talked about this on the show. My, my marriage almost ended because of just that, because my priority, I was so spending did mine. 60 to 70 hours a week. You know, people tell me how great I was, but I wasn't being a pretty good husband and father. You know, no, I, I allowed work and particularly I was in ministry for 20 years in a church and I just thought working more equals God must be pleased. And right. I realized, and I was winning at work. We were the fastest growing church in our denomination nationally and one of the largest. And I always thought, well, I'm winning at work. And now I believe if you're winning at work and losing at home, you're losing. Period. You're losing. You're yeah. losing. It doesn't matter. If you're losing at home, you're losing. Yep. Amen. Carrie, I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> I love this, man. Uh, Carrie Newhalf Leadership Podcast at yourbesttoday.com where you can learn more about your latest book. Um, it, how, what else? How can people connect with you, learn more about you, reach out to you? Yeah, that's great uh, for the book. So uh, you can find everything I do over at carrienewhoff.com. It's a really difficult name to spell, but if you approximate it, uh, Google will help you. That's what's nice <laughs> right. about having a unique name. So right. it's C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F.com. Uh, Just get close and Google will help help you find it. 
Gary, I've had a lot of requests for you to come on the show, so this has been a dream come true to me. I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, and um, it's Yeah, thank fun. you, Richard. It's fun to ha- have another leadership junkie, like I said, talk about leadership. This is what we do. Well, I love it's everything It's an honor to be do. on with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Kerry. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll have links to all this in the show notes. And again, uh, until next time, thanks, Kerry. Well, my thoughts are this. Kerry's an ultimate pro. What a great guest been a big fan of him for a long time go check out his podcast check out his stuff kerrynewhoff.com or go to atyourbesttoday.com which supports his brand new book at your best how to get time energy and priorities working in your favor i love this book i love this conversation again it's about getting out of that stress spiral getting into the thrive cycle focusing on your time how we look at time was my big takeaway it's not about managing time it's about managing energy it's about managing priorities say this a hundred times you got a, a bag in front of you a sack full of 100 pound rocks and the amateur tries to get rid of those 100 pound rocks the reality is the professional understands that 100 pound that bag full of 100 pound rocks which is your life and your stress and your priorities it's always full and there's tons of rocks around trying to get in that bag and you feel like they need to get in the bag well the reality is the professional understands it's about prioritizing what gets in your bag you're always going to be carrying 100 pounds there's never enough time in the day to get everything you want to get done it's about priorities Carrie was uh, a pro at understanding this and helping me see this and reinforcing everything we believe here on The Dose. Hey, if you're finding value in this show, please tell somebody about it. Your word of mouth does wonders for getting the show to grow as we're approaching our ninth anniversary. Hard to believe. And it's because of your support and because of your word of mouth and you sharing this, this content with somebody that you know. So share this with somebody. Share it with a family member or a friend, someone who needs help in understanding that let's get out of the stress spiral. Let's get into managing our time and our priorities and getting that energy back. Thank you for being a supporter of the show. If you're so inclined, please rate and review. You can now do so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please, if you find the time, subscribe. Follow me on your, on your favorite podcast application and write that review if you're finding some value. Hopefully it's five stars. Go to doseofleadership.com to learn more about my services. If you need a keynote speaker, if you're needing a coach, or if you're needing someone to consult in your business and be that strategic leadership arrow in your query or in your organization, that's what I love to do. Help in culture, in leadership, and in growth. And I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it if that's something that you need. Thanks for tuning in to the show, and we'll see you next time here on The Dose.